Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. I want to talk to you tonight about the power of intimacy. Uh, if you're taking notes, I want you to write that down. The power of intimacy. And as we go through tonight, I think you'll see what I believe the Lord wants to speak. But my dad had a rule growing up uh, that he always told me, he said, I, I'm not going to go anywhere and I'm not going to do anything that you can't come with me. Uh, and as a parent now of two little girls, that has been a, a mantra of me for myself as well. I'm not going to be a part of anything. I'm not going to do anything that you can't uh, be a part of with me. And I, I tell you what that speaks is, is about intimacy. It's about closeness. It's about friendship. In fact, that's what intimacy is. The definition of intimacy is, is close familiarity or friendship, or closeness, and I understand that's been kind of your theme for this week, um, and in your fasting, our church just finished up a 21-day fast as well, so I'm right there with you, and encouraged in that, uh, that you're doing that, encouraged just to keep that up, I know you guys got a few days left uh, in that, and seeking God and his presence uh, in the process of that, but there's something about growing intimate with the Lord, getting close with the Lord, and I want to talk tonight about what, what happens when we do that, I really want to work from, from two main texts, we're going to jump all around tonight, but if you have your Bibles and you'd like to open with me, to the book of Revelation. I'm going to go right to the back. Revelation chapter 12 and, and chapter 19, uh, both we'll be jumping to in just a moment. Uh, but before we do that, I, I want to define a couple other words. I already defined intimacy for you, but I want to define a couple other words. And these are things that, that you probably already know, but just for the foundation and the basis of what I believe God wants to speak tonight, uh, I want to share just a couple other quick uh, definitions with you. And one of them would be a testimony. Uh, when you think about it, we sang one of the songs tonight, had the word testimony, it jumped out uh, at me as the worship team did a great job tonight. The word testimony is generally thought of as a public recounting of a religious encounter, right? It's basically when you share with someone about what God's done in your life, you're testifying about what God has done. And a lot of times we think about a testimony having to be like in a public setting like this where someone gets up. We do that often on Wednesday nights at our church. We have testimony night where we have people get up and share, not just about how they got saved, but about how God's done something miraculous or supernatural in their life. They'll share a testimony about that. And then the other word that I want to define just to kind of again lay some groundwork tonight is the word prophet. And uh, prophecy is simply something that's foretelling the future, right? It's not just um, like a fortune telling, but it's something accurate about what's going to happen in the future. And uh, I would encourage you, if you're looking for like something to read in the Bible, you're like, I don't know where to study. I don't know where. Go to the Old Testament and look at all the prophecies that got fulfilled in the New Testament. There's some amazing correlation there to see. Uh, God says that nothing will happen unless it's first spoken through a prophet. I mean, prophecy is a big deal to the Lord, and it's really foretelling what's going to happen in the future. I want to link all that together with you tonight, but to do that, let's jump to Revelation chapter 19. If you're unfamiliar, Revelation is really, uh, it's a vision, it's a, a, a dream, it's a thing that happened with this man named John, the Apostle John. He's on the island of Patmos, and, and God reveals to him all these amazing things that theologians still, over 2,000 years later, still trying to divide all this and figure out what it all means. Uh, but in the process of that, John becomes overwhelmed as any of us would getting the revelation that God was giving to him in the way that he was getting it. And in Revelation chapter 19, we find that, that, that basically an angel is speaking to John. And so this is what it says in verse number 10. It says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. So he's worshiping the angel. The angel's like, don't worship me. He says, I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. 
Instead, he's like, don't worship me. I'm just testifying the same way that you are. He says, worship God. Don't worship me. We worship God together. Listen to this next line. He says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We'll come back to that in a few moments. Now jump to Revelation chapter 12. Also again in verse number 10. It says this, John, this is previous before that, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. It says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. I just want to stop for a moment and remind you that if the enemy's been beating you up in life, like if you feel like the enemy has attacked you and you have no way out of that, there's people that, that struggle with that. Even as Christians, even as believers, we get to a place where it's like, man, how much more? can I take that the enemy's coming? I want to remind you tonight that John saw that the Lord said, he said, I hear a voice from heaven saying, salvation and power have come. The kingdom of God has come. The authority of the Messiah is at hand. And and although Satan is accusing us before God day and night, he's been hurled down. And John goes a step further and speaks about what the voice told him, how that happened. It says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of God their testimony. There's that word again, the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Remember Revelation chapter 19 says that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. There's some linkage here that we need to see in this. And so I want to just kind of set the basis before we get into really talking about power and about intimacy. I want to encourage you tonight. Have you you ever thought about uh, why we give a testimony? I mean, think about that. Like, why do we testify other than the fact that like the Bible tells us to? I think sometimes like that's the reason, right? Like when we testify or when we, when we do anything, we're like, well, the Bible says I have to, so that's why I'm doing it. I came to church tonight because Pastor Brandon said I'm supposed to, and the Bible says I'm not supposed to forsake the gathering together, the blue. so I'm here tonight. Like we do it not just because the Bible says, so the Bible says that we ought to always be ready to give an account for why we believe. So like that's one aspect of it, but even more than, than because we have to or because we're supposed to, the reason that we testify is because it's giving God glory. Amen. Like, it's giving God glory for what God's done in our lives. It's saying, this has been accomplished, and it wasn't by my own power or my own ability, but it was through God that this was able. I was talking, I don't remember your name, sister, in the second row right here, but we were talking before service, and she was sharing with me about how God had been using her and doing some things, and and I loved how she was so quick to say, it wasn't me. God's the one doing it. Like, that's why we testify is to give God glory for what God's done, but it's also encouraging, is it not? Like, to hear when God does something in someone else's life, like, that's an encouragement encouraging thing to happen when you hear that. But I really believe that one of the main reasons that we give testimony is because it builds faith. Like when someone shares, think about it this way. When I hear someone share a testimony, I don't know how you are, but this is the thought that comes to my mind. If God can do that for them, then God can do that for me. Like that's what I love about a testimony. I love to read a good book that's full of testimonies because it begins to like strengthen my faith. It builds my faith to think, you know what? If God does that for them, then God can do that for me because testimonies are faith builders. And I think that most Christians that have served God for very long would believe or agree with me that that testimony and prophecy have always been important elements of the Christian life. I mean, prophecies all throughout scripture I mean, we just read that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, that, that in this uh, showdown between heaven and hell, uh, John says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb, that is the testimony of Jesus, right, and the word of their testimony of what God's done in their life. Like, that's how they defeated the attack or the, the war that was going on between them and the enemy. And so when we think about that, I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but I want you to think tonight, 
Do you ever realize that the, the power of your testimony has the ability to prophesy into other people's lives? Think about that thought for a moment. Like, your ability to testify permeates the atmosphere. It makes a breeding ground for the prophetic to begin to happen in someone's life. Like, you'd say, well, I'm not a prophet. You don't have to be a prophet to prophesy. You just have to be a witness to testify. And if you would just share your testimony about what God's done in your, in fact, if you look at scripture, like from Genesis to Revelation, I could sum up like, what is the Bible? It's a testimony, right? I mean, it's completely a compilation of, of stories and of things, the real life events that have happened that have witnessed the power of God. And so as we take scripture and we use it as a testimony, as we take the experiences we've had in life and we use it as a testimony, it is literally prophesying into other people's lives because they go with the mindset and the belief of if God can do that for you, then God can do that for me. I've had, let me put it this way. As a pastor, I have people that come up to me and they share a testimony, right? Pastor Brent, you probably had that. People come up and they say, man, or I'll even say, like, I started that way. What's God doing in your life? Like, what's, what's happening in your life right now? And when they, when they share something. I've had, for instance, we have a, a man in our church that got healed of cancer here just a few months ago. Like we all been praying for him for months and he got healed of cancer. He's cancer free. He's back to work. He's doing great. Like it's an amazing thing, right? Did that happen? But I love it when someone comes up and shares a testimony and then they, they follow it with this line. Pastor, share that with anyone that you think needs to hear it. You know what they're saying? Use my testimony to prophesy the same testimony be repeated in someone else. Like that's what they're doing. There's really two simple and yet really important factors right here off the bat that I want us to get. And it's very simply this. Number one, if God has done one, like done something great in one person's life, it's not that he can do it in someone else's, it's that he will do it in someone else's life. Because God's no respecter of persons, right? The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here's what I believe that means. That if God healed cancer yesterday, God will heal cancer today. God will heal cancer tomorrow, right? If God put, I have a couple in my church that, man, their marriage was on the rocks. The wife came over to my, my wife's house, and she's like, Pastor, it's over. I'm done with him. He's an alcoholic. He doesn't work. He doesn't do anything. I've been fighting this for 16 years. I'm done with him. This marriage is over. And I just looked her point blank in the face, and I said, young lady, your marriage is not over. Like, God says it's not over. And she just looked at me and was like, Pastor, I don't want to hear that. I'm like, well, I'm just telling you the word of God. Like, it's not over. And so we fought for that marriage together. And I I tell you today her husband is alcohol free he's back to work their marriage is better than it's ever been what I'm telling you is that if God can heal a marriage yesterday God can heal a marriage today and God will heal not can God will heal marriages today God will heal marriages tomorrow like if God can if in the Bible the testimony is that Jesus went around and healed deaf ears and blind eyes and then the lame walked and and the dead were raised again if God did that he's the same yesterday today and forever, so that testimony has the power to speak prophecy into the future. And I want to make sure you get that as a base this evening, is that, that, that God's done it for one person, he'll do it for somebody else. But here's the thing, the second thing is that declaring that testimony is oftentimes the vehicle that God uses to bring that promise about in someone else's life. So here's what I believe. I really believe that we're seeing a lack of miracles, signs, and wonders in the church because there's a lack of testifying about the miracle signs and wonders in the church. Because if you get around somebody that has seen a miracle, like it breeds more miracles. 
There's people that have whole ministries, like healing ministries. Why is that? Because when someone gets healed, faith gets built that says that person prayed and God responded through their prayer. And so God will do that again and again and again and again. But if we would begin to understand that that's not just select group of people that that's supposed to be happening to, but Jesus says signs and wonders shall follow them that believe, not just them that are called to be ministers of the gospel, those that are called to be pastors or evangelists or teachers. or Like, no, like signs and wonders shall follow them that believe. When we believe in him, the testimony comes forth and it has the power to bring that prophetic word. Testimonies, they prophesy God's intent and his nature to all who are willing to listen to him. Ultimately, I believe preparing the ground and making the way for the miraculous to happen, right? I mean, that's really what it's about the testimony being used for prophecy. Get this, it's not just about miracles. I don't want to, I don't want to like, this is going to sound bad, but I don't want to dumb it down to just saying that your testimony being used as a prophecy is only used as miracles. I believe that it's, it's larger than that. I, I believe it's actually a foundational kingdom principle, one that we ought to be teaching, one that we should be applying to our own personal lives. And I believe as we do that, and as we understand it on an individual and a a corporate level, until we get to that place, we're never really going to be able to fulfill the great commission the way that God's called us to. I mean, until we get to a place where we're really, I mean, again, the reason we're seeing such a lack in the church, and I believe you guys have a great church here. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not preaching down to you tonight. I'm just encouraging you tonight. I believe you got a great work here. Just spending a week with, with Pastor Brandon, with Josh. I know that you guys, I, I watch you on Facebook. I see you on there. Like you guys are doing a great thing here. So don't get me wrong, but the church by and large is suffering people from the outside looking in or going, why would I come? Because I don't see power on it. Can I just tell you that if signs and wonders and miracles and, and healings were happening on a more regular basis, people would be drawn to that. I mean, that's why people were drawn to Jesus, because they had heard about what he had done, right? And the church ought to be mirroring that same type of thing. But here's the thing. It all comes down to our ability to fulfilling this call, our ability to fulfill the Great Commission, our ability to use our testimony to speak prophecy into other people's lives. It all pins on one word. And it's not a word you'd probably think of, but it all pins on one thing, remembering your ability to use a testimony to prophesy in someone else's life all comes down to remembrance. It all comes down to your memory. Let me show you that tonight. Our capacity to remember what God has said and done in our own lives and throughout history, that, that becomes the testimony. It's one of the primary things to determine your success or your failure in the kingdom of God. Let me, let me show you that. So if I, if I don't remember scripture then it's harder for me to walk in line with scripture, right? I mean, the word of God says, hide my word in your heart, that what? That that I might not sin against God. Like, that's what the word of God says. So if I don't hide God's word in my heart, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna be sinning against God because I don't even know what, I don't know what right from wrong if I don't hide it in my heart to know it to begin with. But if I remember what scripture, if I remember that scripture says that I'm the head and not the tail, if I remember that scripture says that, that I'm a royal priesthood, that I'm a chosen nation, that I'm a people belonging to God, then I walk differently. Then I talk differently. If I remember that the Bible says that I'm a child of God, that I'm an heir and a co-heir with Christ, then it totally changes. It transforms the way that I walk through life, right? 
right? Like it's remembering it. If, if I can remember that God healed Jeff Breed in my church of cancer, then the next time I meet someone with cancer, I could say, hey, God healed the man like I am tonight telling you, God healed the man. Maybe there's somebody here tonight that has cancer or you know someone that has cancer and you're going to be able to get a hold of them in the next week and go, you won't believe this. I had a pastor come to our church on a Thursday snowy night and a few of us faithful church members showed up to hear the word of God and to seek God because we really wanted God to do something. And he shared a story about a man in his church that got healed. Or maybe it's a marriage. Maybe you work with a lady that her marriage is beginning to fall apart. And you're like, you know what? I, I heard a story and I believe that it happened. And so I'm going to believe with you. I'm going to pray with you and believe that God can heal your marriage the same way he did that marriage. Like it's all about your memory and what you're speaking right? Like you have the power in your language and in your words to either speak. The Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. So like what we're, what we're remembering and what we're talking about is paving the way for what's coming in our future. It's literally prophesying ahead of us what is coming about. And I, here's the thing. I, I really, when, when it comes down to it, I, I believe that there are a lot of blood-bought believers that are still living well below God's best for their life. People that profess Jesus as their Savior, that have asked the Holy Spirit to come and live in their heart, I mean, that really love God, but are still living below the level of what God really wants to be doing in their life. Like God wants to be operating on such a higher level than where we're at. And, and here's the reason. Many believers stay immature because they never progress beyond the revelation that they are sinners saved by grace. I get to preach one night tonight and then leave, and Pastor Brandon has to like fix whatever I mess up. So I'm going to take it a step further tonight and just share my own personal opinion with you, my own heart about Scripture. I, it drives me crazy to hear people say that have been saved for a while that they're a sinner saved by grace. Because when, when you say you're a sinner saved by grace, you're implying that you're still a sinner. You say, well, I do still sin. But here's the thing. The Bible says when you're saved, you become a child of God. And you can't be a child of God and be a sinner at the same time. Jesus healed people and said, go and sin no more. Like, I've seen the arguments on Facebook when people, like, they, they start that whole thing, like, are you a sinner saved by grace? or are you Like, it drives me nuts to just read that stuff a little bit because I go, it's all in your mind of deciding because that, that dictates how you live your life. If every morning I wake up and I say, thank you, God, I'm a sinner saved by grace, the first thing I'm saying is that I'm a sinner. But if I wake up every morning and I remember that I'm not a sinner anymore, but I'm a child of God now, I'm a believer now, I, I'm an heir and a co-heir with Christ, that ought to dictate how I live my life. Does that make sense to you tonight? I mean, you get that tonight, that it's all in our mind, deciding how we're the perspective that we're going to use in our life. And, and when I say that people don't progress beyond that revelation, I don't mean that just to leave behind, but I mean to build upon, right? Like your salvation is not the end game. It's the beginning. Like at the moment you get saved, if that was all that like Jesus went to the cross for, then the moment you got saved, we'd pass out Kool-Aid at the altar and you'd die and go to heaven. Right? You can laugh. It's okay. But that's not reality, right? I mean, the fact is, is that Jesus died for more than your salvation. And we are living so below what God wants to do because we're just leaning against, as Scripture says, I think as Paul says, you just continue to lean against the foundation of salvation. I wish you'd grow up on these things. Like, we've got to get to that that place that, that we progress beyond that. And those who, who progress are, are those who understand that God's higher purpose for the cross was not just to merely forgive their sin. It was so that by forgiving our, our sin based on the blood of Christ, that he could invite us back 
into an intimate family relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross was not just to get you a get out of hell, like, free card. That wasn't the purpose of the cross. The purpose of the cross was to bring you back into a right, intended, beginning-of-time relationship with the Father. Because that's what it did, right? Like, the curse of sin separated man from God. That's what the first Adam did. When the fall of man happened, when sin entered the world, it separated the intimacy. Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. They sin. They realize their nakedness. They go and they hide from God. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Why are you being separate from me? Because that wasn't my plan. My plan was for there to be closeness, to be friendship, for there to be intimacy between us. And so we go through this whole period of the Old Testament of there being a lack of intimacy because only one man once a year can go into the Holy of Holies and actually be in the very presence of God. But when Jesus breathed his last breath on the cross. It was more than for just the the Jews and Gentiles to be saved. It was to bring us back into a, a beginning of time, intimate relationship with the Father. It's why the veil torn from the top to the bottom, giving everyone access. That's why I love being a Pentecostal, because I get to express that in every way that God wants to through the power of the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen tonight, that we have the ability to be able to be intimate with the Father again through what was accomplished on the cross. Like we got to progress beyond just salvation. And John chapter 1, verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Not just saved, not just getting to go to heaven, but became children of God. The legal standing of relationship to God as his sons and daughters is precisely what gives us an inheritance. In Romans chapter 8, in verse number 14, it explains it this way. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. When you think I'm a sinner saved by grace, it's slave mentality. It's like I'm a slave that's kind of been set free, but at any moment I could be drugged back into slavery. But the Bible says you were bought out of that and you were brought about uh, into adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I don't know about you, but I read that and it's mind-boggling. Like I could sit there just in awe of that passage and go, whoa, like, That's the reason that Jesus went to the cross was not just for me to be saved, but so that I could be adopted into the family of God. Like literally as one of his sons, like you are one of his daughters, like you've been adopted into that. And we could just be in awe of that. But but here's the thing. We can't be content to just read those verses and be awed by them. They, They actually are prophesying our potential, a potential that we have to pursue throughout our entire lives because when God invites us into a relationship with him he's inviting us into a process of becoming he's inviting us into a process of transformation like that's what salvation is really about it's transformational you know what I found out transformed people transform people people that have been transformed by the presence of God bring about transformation in other people not through their own ability their own power but through the power that comes from intimacy with the Father. Like that, that's really where it comes down to. This transformation can actually be, be measured in our lives because we have a model through Jesus of who we're supposed to be becoming like. Right? That's what I tell people in our church. When you get saved, like people go, Well, do I have to quit this? Do I have to quit that? 
And should I stop doing this? And should I stop doing that? And this is why I tell him, you know what? The whole goal of God and his relationship with you now that you are saved is that today you look more like Jesus than you did yesterday. And that tomorrow you talk more like Jesus than you do today. And the next day you would walk more like him than you do tomorrow, right? Like every day it's a transformation. The Bible talks about working out your salvation. It's about becoming more and more and more and more like Jesus. Like that's what we ought to be. I I think we've gotten this fallacy that the church replicates the church and we want to just look more like, we're like, what's the biggest church doing the best thing? And let's look like that church. But the fact is that's not the scale we ought to be grading ourselves by. The fact we need to be looking like Jesus and we're lacking the power that needs to be on display for the world to be able to step into relationship with Jesus. And we're lacking that because there's a lack of intimacy. Because people don't understand that the cross was, was given because God wanted to restore intimacy. You get that tonight? Like, are you grasping that tonight? That, that it's about intimacy with the Father that brings about the power that can be on display through the church. And really lead to what God wants to do in us and through us. And see, through salvation, we are restored to our original purpose, the purpose that flows naturally from our restored identity and relationship with, with God. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it says this, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that passage because it, it, it totally gives you purpose in life because you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. God created you. And not only did he create you, but he created good works in advance for you to do. Things that are assigned only for you to do, right? Like God, God had in mind when he formed you in your mother's womb, like when that whole process happened, when you popped out, like God says, I got works in about 20 years for that person to be like, I've got good works in advance I've made for that person to do. And we know that works can't save us. I'm not preaching that tonight. I know that like works can't, works can't save us, but without the fruit of good works in our lives, I believe that we lack the evidence that identifies us as new creatures in Christ. But good works should be in our lives. You think about it, just as God's nature is revealed in what he does, the evidence that we are being transformed into his likeness is revealed in the nature of what we do. Like again, if we are going to win people to the Lord, it's going to come from us looking like Jesus, talking like Jesus, acting like, like doing what Jesus would do. But you think about it then, so what are these Good works. I mean, it said that in Ephesians chapter 2, like, there's good Jesus. He, he created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like, what are those good works? Well, I believe that it's too easy to reduce that down to what is accessible in the natural ability. Think about this. So, like, sometimes when we think about good works, we think about, like, we go to Matthew 25, 40, where it talks about, like, Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water in my name, like, if you clothe somebody, you know, he's going to say to people when they get to heaven, when you did these things, and what have you done to the least of these you've done unto me? Like, we think about good works being clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and going visiting people in prisons, and, and I'm, not, I'm not negating or downplaying any of that because those are key, like, things that ought to be seen in the body of Christ. Like, those things should be taking place. But if we, if, we, if we summarize down the list of good works to things that, can I just say this? Like we had, I was telling Pastor Brandon before service, like we just had a tornado in the middle of the winter happen in our town just a couple weeks ago. Came through and took some roofs off and it tore some trees down. And we organized about 50 people this last Saturday and we went out in our community and we cleaned up like 25 yards and did some amazing stuff, right? Like some awesome things for God. But here's the thing. There were some people that were helping us that were not saved. And guess what? They did the same thing that we were doing. 
So like there's some things that you can do that are good that have nothing to do with God, right? So if we, if we summarize down to this list of good works as things that can be accomplished in the flesh, then we're missing the thing by a mile because Jesus wasn't just talking about that. Like when he says that you're going to do good works, even greater things. He said, those that believe in me are going to do the things I've been doing, even greater things than these they will do. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is quoted, we may read that here in just a few moments to, to see that, but, but I just want you to see tonight that it's not just those acts of kindness, although they are essential expressions of the Christian life, but, but that's not just the good works. Jesus said we do those same good works, and he was talking about miracles. He was talking about signs. He was talking about wonders. He was talking about things that you can't just go down to the local 7-Eleven and find somebody to come work in your backyard. Like, he wasn't talking about just buying some clothes for somebody that was in need or giving somebody some groceries. Like, you ought to be doing that. It wasn't like the good work wasn't like, I'm going to pay for the car behind me in the McDonald's drive-thru. That's not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about miracles and signs and wonders, these things happening because these good works not only reveal the fact that, that, that Jesus is the anointed one, but they also, in Jesus, reveal the nature of the relationship that he possessed with his father. You know, like Jesus had all authority, all power in heaven and earth. We understand that. But as fully human and fully man, like a lot of his authority and power on earth came from him spending his alone time with the father. Like that's why he went away and had his alone time getting with God. He, Jesus himself explains this to, to Philip. And I'm not going to take time. I've got the whole passage there. But I just want to jump John chapter 14 uh, down to verse Number 11, where he said, believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, right? Of the works them, themselves. We can flip to the next screen real quick for me. Is it, there, is it right there? Yeah, right there. Believe in me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe of the evidence of the works themselves. So here's the thing. People in your life right now may deny Jesus, right? They may not believe in God. They may not believe in Christ. But if you begin to testify and it prophesies and it brings about power on display in your life, Jesus says to Philip, Philip having this whole conversation like, well, could you show us the father and then we'll believe in you. And Jesus is like, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. If you've seen the father, you've seen me. Like we're one in the same, right? But he says, if you don't believe even that, at least believe in the works. And Jesus isn't talking about like when he fed people, other than maybe the 5,000 when it was a miracle. But Jesus is talking about like believe in the works. Believe when you've seen me, Philip. Go up and pray for the lame man and they walk. Believe me when I spit and made mud and put it in the man's eyes and he was healed of blindness. Like believe me when you saw Lazarus come up out of the grave. If you don't believe in what I'm telling you, at least believe in the good works themselves. And then he goes on to say, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. Again, it's those works that we're talking about, signs, miracles, wonders. Do those, they'll be doing those things, and they'll do even greater things than these. But it doesn't say period. There's a comma, and it says, because I'm going to the Father. In Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, it says that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. If we're ever going to get to become who God intended and created us to be, it's going to happen when we begin to have intimacy with the Father, when we begin to have intimacy with God, like, and there's a way, a path to that, and I want to get to that tonight. I, I don't know how it could be stated any more plainly than what Jesus says right here, but those who believe in him are going to demonstrate signs and wonders. But even more so, his, his declaration implies that those who believe will, will walk in the same kind of relationship with the Father and possess the same kind of anointing of the Holy Spirit that Jesus himself walked in. He, he even prophesied this to his disciples and to us in John 20, 21, where Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. 
I've done these good works, Jesus said. If you believe in me, if you're going to be my follower, I'm sending you out to do the same thing that I've been doing. And yet we see a lack of power on display in the church today. Many Christians have mistakenly, I believe, believed that some of Jesus' commands, like love your neighbor as yourself, are possible to observe when other ones, like raise the dead to life, heal blinded eyes, are impossible. And we don't come out and say that because, boy, our Christian friends would really think we had a lack of faith if we said, like, we really didn't believe. But when's the last time, like, you went up to someone in a wheelchair and was like, I'm going to pray that you're going to get up out of this wheelchair and walk? Like, when, when's the last time that we really got, I mean, on that level and not just out of, out of jest or out of just like a normal, but, but like we really believed that God could, could take them and lift them up out of like, like, think about that. Like, why are we not seeing those kind of things today? Well, the truth is that all of Jesus' commands are impossible to fulfill apart from his grace and supernatural power through the Holy Spirit, right? Like it's completely reliant upon our relationship with him. But Mark 9, 23 says that all things are possible to him who believes. Like all things, that, that's related to a dad that brought his son that was demon-possessed to the disciples and they couldn't heal him. And, and he comes up to Jesus and says, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus goes, if? If I can? Really? Have you not heard about me? If I can? And then and he says, do you believe? And the father says, I believe, help my unbelief. And then Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. Right? And so the fact is, if we would believe in God and we have that relationship with God, it's our faith in action that gives us access to all the resources of heaven. And as sons and as daughters of God are destined to reveal our Father to the world by bearing his likeness. Think about, well, how do we do that? We do it just like Jesus did it, by communing with the Father, by walking in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth through demonstrations of power and authority, all in the context of showing the love of God. We do it through intimacy with God. That's really how power gets into our lives. You, you wonder sometimes, like, how do those people operate? Like, how are they seeing miracles? How are they seeing signs? How are they seeing wonders happen? I guarantee you it's because they're spending time with God. Because when you spend time with God, you hear the voice of God. You feel the nudgings of God. You know when to pray, you know when to speak something, and that power is on display. And since that's the the greater purpose for the cross, there's a necessity for us to learn to spend our inheritance by drawing on the great promises of God for the benefit of those people around us. We can't forget that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was to release the power of heaven into the life of every believer. You know, Scripture says that, that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you. You think about that, the same power that literally, after three days, raised Jesus from the dead. The Bible says that that power is inside you. So how'd that power get in me? Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. To do what? You know what that scripture says? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the age. Think about what that means for a moment. To be a witness. What's it, I mean, in, in our normal everyday context, what does a witness do? If you have a trial, got this crazy impeachment trial thing going on right now, right? Just think about it for a moment. If you call a witness to the stand, what are they going to do? They're going to give their, they're giving their testimony, right? Full circle. Get the whole picture tonight. Jesus says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses, to testify. <laughs> 
the testimony of Jesus, Revelation 19, is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 12, they overcame, they triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the lamb, the testimony of Jesus, and the word of their testimony. Think about it. Jesus says, you're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to testify about what I can do in people. And when you testify about it, you're, you're creating an atmosphere for the prophetic to begin to happen. But all of that pins really on one thing. You deciding, I'm no longer a sinner saved by grace, but I'm a child of God. And as a child of God, I have access into the presence of God. One thing I love as a father, I have a 10-year-old and a 4-year-old, both girls. And um, they, uh, they are high energy. Um, they, they never stop talking. I mean, they talk all the time. Uh, my dad can attest to that. I'm mean, just constant. Um, and and they, they think they run the church. My 4-year-old gets behind my desk at church, and she says, I'm the pastor, and I'm running this place. Like, that's kind of her thing, right? And uh, there's times, like, in my office, like, the church knows on Sunday morning, if I'm in my office, like, it can probably wait. What, I mean, unless it's an emergency, like, don't just come barging in. Like, if you need something that pertains to today's service, then by all means, come in. But otherwise, like, catch me after service. Like, it'll just be better. But my kids don't get that. <laughs> I can be studying. I can be preparing. I can be praying in my office. And the door just barges open, and in they come. Dad, we need money for the coffee shop. Dad, I need money for offering. Dad, I need you to fix my hair. Whatever it is, right? Like, they've got something that's important. But here's the thing. You know what they know? That we have such a close relationship that they can come and ask me for anything, anytime. Because there's an intimacy that comes with that. They get that. They understand the power that dad has to be able to provide for them. Like, if you would begin to understand that you are not just a pew sitter, you are not a sinner just saved by grace, but that you are a child of God. You are an heir and a co-heir with Christ. That means that the same power that raised Jesus is inside of you. And how do you tap into that power? It's through intimacy with him. But can I tell you that, that that intimacy with him, it doesn't just come through some impersonal force. It comes through a person named the Holy Spirit. And when you tap into the Holy Spirit, I mean, really spend time with God. That's really what this week is about, about growing closer to the Lord. You guys are encountering God in a real way. It's about sacrifice. It's about turning the TV off and spending time with God. It's about preparing. Like that, that story in Mark chapter 9, whenever, whenever the, those disciples couldn't heal the demon-possessed boy, later on, Jesus had a little teaching moment with his boys. They're sitting around, and they were like, yo, Jesus, how come we couldn't do what you did? And he goes, well, this kind only come out through prayer and fasting. That, that's why. He says, the power will follow them that believe. Like, anything's possible for them that believe. But this kind only come out. That's why you guys are fasting and praying, because you don't know what's coming this year. And it may not even be in your family. Maybe in somebody that you work with or somebody you go to school with. It may be, it may be, maybe somebody in your family. Like, who knows? But, but God knows. And you'll receive that power when you spend time with him. You tap into it. You begin to use your testimony as a prophetic word. You use your testimony to speak prophecy into people's lives. And then leave it up to God. And watch God do the miraculous. And once God does one miracle, it's amazing how chain miracles happen. It is. Like, it's amazing how many other marriages, after one marriage gets healed, how other marriages get healed. It's amazing how one person gets healed of cancer, God heal other people with cancer. Like, I've seen it happen. God operates like that because it builds our faith. If you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes with me tonight, just for a moment. Thank you for being attentive, and thank you for coming out tonight. Man, I know it's nasty out there. It's probably getting worse, but, but I believe God's here, and I sense his presence in this place tonight.
And I don't know for how long, but I, I believe that God wants to spend at least some time here tonight. And I'll turn it back to Pastor Brandon in just a moment. But if you're here tonight, and you can just, just be honest with the Lord tonight and say, God, I want to use my testimony. Lord, I'm committing tonight to let you help me remember all that you've done in my life. Lord, maybe you feel like it. Maybe you feel tonight like what you've been through isn't that much. Or maybe you feel like, like, how could God ever use this? But here's the thing. Like, every person that's going through something, somebody else is going through what you're going through. God can use it. And so tonight, if you're here and you say, I want to commit to let God use my testimony to bring prophecy into someone else's life. Tonight, I want to commit to a more intimate relationship with God. You say, my relationship's good with God. That's great. There's a deeper level of intimacy. Go deeper. Progress further in the Lord. If you're here tonight and you say, I want to respond to that. I I want to commit that I want to be intimate with God in every way and understand that the cross was for more than just my, it begins with my salvation, but it was for more than that. It was so I could have intimacy with the Father through the Holy Spirit through what Jesus accomplished on the cross. If you're here tonight and you say, I want to step into that kind of relationship with God, I'm not saying you're not saved, but tonight I want to go on a deeper level of intimacy. If that's you, would you just lift your hand for me tonight? Just lift your hand right where you're at. Just, God, see my hand tonight that I want to step into a greater level of intimacy with you. And this is what I want to ask. If you lifted your hand, I'm asking you to stand to your feet right where you're at. And if you didn't, don't feel ashamed. You're fine. God knows where you're at tonight. But if you lift your hand and say, Lord, I want to seek you with more intimacy. I want to seek you in a greater dimension, in a greater level tonight. I want to invite you to, you don't, you don't necessarily have to come to the front. I would encourage you, if you want to come up here, that's great. You can make an altar at your seat. But I just encourage you for a few moments tonight, at least, let's find a place just to see. This isn't going to be some rah-rah altar call. But I want us to have an intimate moment with God tonight, that you would come and just solidify in your heart the commitment that you've made by raising your hand and standing on your feet to come forward and say, God, this isn't just about being intimate at church. It's really more about being intimate at home, intimate in your car, intimate when you wake up, intimate before you go to bed, intimate at lunchtime. Like It's about being close friends with Jesus through the Holy Spirit. That's really what it's about. So I just think I'm going to pray, and as I'm praying, if you want to just begin to move and find a place, just move somewhere. Just, just move away from your seat somewhere just to make a move towards God and say, God, I'm pursuing intimacy with you. Father, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you for this church. I thank you for ES First, God, and the impact that they're making in this community. I thank you for Pastor Brandon and Josh and their family, God, and this this entire leadership team, this worship team, Lord. It's an amazing place of what you're doing, God, but I believe there's more. I believe there's so much more than what we've tapped into. So I just pray tonight, God, that this would be another step in a direction, Lord, of pursuing more intimacy with you. Father, you know our heart, you know where we're at, but I pray tonight that we would we would progress beyond the level of just salvation and we would get to a, a place of intimacy where your power is being displayed through us, that you would begin in our intimate time with you to reveal those people that we're going to encounter, that we need to share our testimony with so that your power can be on display and miracles can begin to happen. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in this place, what you're going to continue to do. We give you glory, honor, and praise for tonight in Jesus' name. Come on, let's just seek him tonight.